What do you do when someone cuts in front of you in traffic or hunks at you because you're seemingly in the way simply for just existing? What do you do when they go on to uh, make some rather special hand gestures in your general direction? How do you react when somebody slanders you or throws you under the bus, tells lies about you, or tarnishes your reputation in some way? How do you respond when someone disrespects you or belittles you, embarrasses you, or talks down to you? What do you do when someone offends you, snubs you, slights you in some form or fashion? How do you react when somebody takes advantage of you or climbs over you on their way to the top? How do you respond when somebody steals something from you or damages something valuable to you? Let me ask you another line of questioning. How does our culture tell us to respond? How does our culture inform us to react when these kinds of things happen to us? What's the typical American response? Stick up for yourself. Defend your rights. Stand your ground. Never back down. If somebody hits you, Hit them back, except harder. Retaliate, litigate, fight. Make them pay for what they did to you. Don't just get even. You don't know it? Don't just get even. Get one up. now, Now you're getting it. Okay. I thought you would know that one. Shoot first. Ask questions later. Meekness is weakness. That's the American way. That's what our culture, or that's how our culture disciples us to respond when attacked or provoked. When we perceive that our rights are threatened in some form or fashion, this is how we react. It's summed up fairly well by the Gadsden flag. Now, you might not uh, be familiar with that name, but most likely, You've seen the flag. How many of you have seen this flag around? It's, it's actually making a bit of a comeback in our culture in these polarizing times. It was originally created back, um, way, way back early on in our country's history um, by a Revolutionary War so- soldier by the name of William, not William, Christopher Gadsden. And it was first flown in a war- on a warship in 1775 as a battle cry for American independence during the Revolutionary War. American independence from British rule. On its bright yellow background, above the ominous warning, don't tread on me, it features a rattlesnake with its tongue flicked, fangs out, and body coiled in defense. As if to say, if you dare put your foot down on me, or even near me, I will strike. What's interesting is that the rattlesnake was an established symbol for America in the late 1700s. Benjamin Franklin noted, um, or notably used it, stating it captured the temper and the spirit of America because a rattlesnake never backs down when provoked. And yet Jesus never says, blessed are the aggressive. What does he say? Blessed are the meek. So we must never make the mistake of confusing the American way with the way of Jesus. For example, what does our Declaration of Independence say? That we're endowed with what? 
unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I've never thought of this before, but our, our other teaching patcher made the connection for me this week. Jesus never says that. Instead, he says, come follow me. If anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But what does it mean to deny yourself? It means to lay aside your pursuit of happiness. What does it mean to take up your cross? It means to lay aside your life. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to lay aside your liberty. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. My friends, the American way is simply not the way of Jesus. And this beatitude about meekness, more than any of the other seven beatitudes that we're going to study together, is probably the most countercultural for us as Americans. It's the one that's most difficult for us to internalize and apply to our lives because what Jesus says here is so very un American. So as we examine this beatitude this morning, blessed are the meek, I want to give you fair warning. This is going to be one of those Sundays where you might regret coming to church. This is going to be one of those Sundays where God's word is going to convict our hearts and confront our sensibilities as Americans. But you're already here. It'd be a bit awkward for you to get up and walk out right now. So I'm banking on the fact that your fear of embarrassment is greater than your fear of getting convicted. So just stay seated and take comfort in this fact, and that's this. It's much better to be confronted with God's word than to be ignorant of it. It's much better to be confronted with God's word and convicted by it than it is to be ignorant of it. So welcome to Fellowship Nashville. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm so grateful that you've joined us as we continue our journey, our sermon series through Matthews chapter 5 through 7, which contain the words of a sermon that Jesus preached on a hillside some 2,000 years ago overlooking the Sea of Galilee, a sermon which was now commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been with us the past three, three weeks, you already know that Jesus begins his sermon with eight provocative, perspective-shifting statements called the Beatitudes. We've covered two of them already. Today we're going to come to the third in Matthew 5.5. 5. So go ahead and read this verse out loud with me again that Eleanor read for us earlier before we dive in. Say it out loud with me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now our experience would tell us that the meek are not the ones who get ahead in this life. They're not the ones who get the promotions, the control, the power. Instead, they're the ones that usually get walked on, right? They're usually the ones that get left behind. But Jesus tells us here that it's the meek who are the blessed ones. It's the meek who are the fortunate ones, the enviable ones, because they are the ones who will inherit the earth. How is that? To understand this, we must first understand what Jesus meant by meek. As I was studying this this week, almost every commentator I came across made sure to point out and emphasize that meekness does not mean weakness. It's strength under control. And there's truth to that. But here's the rub with saying it that way. Whether we like it or not, meekness is often perceived as weakness in our culture. So to say that, meekness is strength, 
under control. To say it that way actually erases some of the provocative, perspective-shifting shock of this beatitude. The Greek word translated meek for us here is rather difficult to bring over into English. Sometimes it's translated gentle or mild, humble. In secular Greek literature, it was used to describe an animal that had been tamed or trained, an animal who, under the kind and generous lead of its master, had stopped acting aggressively, stopped fussing, ceased from acting independently, became gentle and calm or meek. But in order for us to get a full picture of what meekness means, we're going to take a bit of a field trip this morning. We're going to hop on a tour bus together, okay? And we're going to visit three places in Scripture. One back in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. And we're going to take our cameras with us on our little tour bus journey. And we're going to take some snapshots along the way. Okay, so put your tourist hats on. Grab your cameras, your selfie sticks if you're into narcissism. And let's get on to the bus, the tour bus, and turn with me back to Psalm 37. This is our first stop on our tour this morning, Psalm 37, because this Psalm of David serves as the backdrop for this beatitude of Jesus. In fact, you might not have known this, but Jesus is quoting directly from this Psalm, Psalm 37, verse 11, when he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's let's read this Psalm together, Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they shall soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. There's the echo, inherit the earth, okay? Well, it gets even more um, honed in than that here, here soon. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he shall not be there. And then we come to verse 11, but what does that say? But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is the backdrop for Jesus' beatitude. Do you see it? There's a lot packed in this psalm, but if we were to just remember our cameras, okay, let's get those out. Everybody got them? Let me see them. Okay, we're going to take a snapshot. If we're going to summarize Psalm 37, how would we do it? How would we briefly summarize what it says about being meek? The best summary I found from my studies was actually by a guy named David Platt, and he put it this way. Meekness calmly and joyfully trusts in the justice of God. Say that out loud with me. Meekness calmly and joyfully trusts in the justice of God. That's our snapshot number one on our little bus tour through Scripture this morning. Meekness calmly and joyfully trusts in the justice of God. And this psalm is absolutely saturated with calmness, trust, and joy. Where do we see the calmness? Verse 1, fret not yourself. Verse 7, fret not yourself. Verse 8, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, and fret not yourself. Where do we see the trust? 
Verse 3, trust in the Lord. Commit your way to him and trust him. Verse 5, be still before him. Verse 7, wait for the Lord. Verse 9, where do we see the joyfulness? Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 4, delight in abundant peace. Verse 11, And just to be clear, there is a lot, there's plenty to be upset about, angry about, and anxious about here in this psalm. What's happening? Well, in verse 1 and verse 7, evildoers, wrongdoers are prospering. The wicked are getting their way, most likely at the expense of who? The righteous. Because in verse 12, which we didn't get to, it says this. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Verse 32 says, the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. Yet in the middle of all this wrongdoing, all this turmoil, all the injustice of what's happening in the world and to the righteous, the meek calmly and joyfully trust in the justice of God. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. The the meek are trusting in the justice of God. In this snapshot of meekness, the meek aren't taking matters into their own hands. They aren't defending themselves like an angry rattlesnake ready to strike. They aren't giving an ominous warning, don't you dare tread on me and my rights. They are calmly and joyfully trusting in the justice of God. They realize, yes, we are weak, but God is not. And God is on our side. The meek realize you don't have to be strong when the Lord is your strength. The meek don't have to exercise their own strength because they know that their Lord is strong and he's going to act on their behalf in his time, and that's what matters. So here's the applicational question. This is where it gets convicting. What do you do when you get your feathers ruffled? What do you do when somebody infringes on your rights or snubs you or Treats you in a way that is disrespectful. It's natural, sometimes right, to feel anger if there's injustice. But what do we do as Christ followers with that anger? That's the question. What should we do with our anger? Do you take matters into your own hands or do you calmly and joyfully trust in the justice of God? Does it turn into rage or do you forsake wrath like this psalm says and calmly and joyfully trust in the justice of God? What what do you do with your anger? Anger is just anger. It's an emotion. There's nothing necessarily negative about it, but there could be in our response with it. Anger can be healthy to drive us toward passionately doing good, but it can also take a negative, unhealthy turn towards rage. Okay, before this this gets too convicting, let's hop back on the tour bus, okay? You got your cameras? Let's travel now back to the New Testament, to the book of James, and take another snapshot of meekness. In his letter, James uses the word meek twice, once in chapter 1, once in chapter 3. He first uses the word in chapter 1 directly after talking about trials and turmoil in this world. That's not a coincidence, okay? It's not a coincidence, 
When is meekness needed? When there's trials and turmoil around us. In verse 19, he writes this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with, there's our word, meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, from this passage and the other one that we're about to look at in chapter 3 of James, an additional snapshot of weakness starts to come into focus here. Here in chapter 1, we see James basically contrasting two types of people. One type is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's the meek. The other is described as full of anger, filthiness, and wickedness. And we can assume that this person is slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. The opposite of meekness. So after chapter 1, James, or this passage in chapter 1, James goes on to give warnings about the dangers of an unbridled tongue. And then he brings that up again at the, in, in chapter 3, talking about the dangerous power of the tongue. And then we come to verse 13 in chapter 3, which will help complete our second snapshot of meekness. And it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the, there's our word again, meekness of wisdom. What does meekness of wisdom mean and look like? Well, let's look at the contrast of it in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So the opposite of one who is meek is a person, here in James, who is filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And in verse 17, James goes on to flesh out what he means by the meekness of wisdom that he talked about earlier. And as a side note, I want you to notice, as we read this verse, the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 that are kind of interwoven by James here. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above, that's the meekness of wisdom referenced earlier, is first pure, that's Matthew 5, 8, then peaceable, Matthew 5, 9, gentle, Matthew 5, 5, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, that's Matthew 5, 7, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown, Matthew 5, 6, in peace by those who make peace, Matthew 5, 9, again. All of these things are the opposite of jealousy and selfish ambition. So if we put James 1 and James 3 together, we get a second snapshot of meekness. How can we summarize that snapshot? Read this out loud with me. Meekness humbly listens and selflessly lives for the good of others. Meekness humbly listens, James 1, and selflessly lives, James 3, for the good of others. But how rare is it in our culture to humbly listen? How rare is it in your life to humbly listen? For example, when you receive criticism from somebody, what do you usually do? If you're at all like me, my first response is to go into self-defense mode, right? My first reaction is self-justification rather than humble listening. Are you the same way or am I the only one? 
When I stop to think about it, most of my failures as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, have come down to selfishly being slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to become angry. Instead of selflessly for the good of others being slow to become angry, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to tweet, slow to post in the comment section. (laughs) So to bring our first two biblical snapshots of meekness together, would you say both of these out loud with me? Meekness calmly and joyfully trusts in the justice of God. Meekness humbly listens and selflessly lives for the good of others. Didn't know that was a tongue twister, but it is. These are so easy to say, except for the tongue twisting spot. (laughs) They're so easy to say, but aren't they so hard to do? So hard to practice when we get our feathers ruffled by someone? And if you're like me, you look at these snapshots of meekness and say, you know, I'm not sure I can really live that way. I'm a good American. (laughs) I've been trained well by my culture. And in a sense, you're absolutely right. You can't. You can't. Not on your own, at least. Which is why I want us to hop back on the tour bus. We've got one more stop. Let's grab our cameras and head over to Galatians before we jump back to Matthew 5, 5 to wrap up. Book of Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we read this. Would you say this out loud with me? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're like, where's the meekness? Well, the same Greek word here is translated as gentleness, but it could just easily be substituted out as meekness. It's the same Greek word that we find in Matthew 5. So this is a third snapshot that we're going to take of meekness this morning. And in it, we learn that we are filled with meekness to the extent that we are filled or influenced by who? Who? You can say it. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. As we mature and grow in our faith, we don't get more of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does get more of us. And the fruit of the Spirit, of which meekness is a part, begins to show up and be displayed more and more through us. So to summarize our third snapshot of meekness, I would put it this way. Meekness is displayed when the Spirit is in control. Meekness is displayed when the Spirit is in control. Ephesians 5 says, do not be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The, one, the, the whole word picture is one of influence. When somebody is controlled by wine, we call them under the influence of it. It controls how they speak. It controls how they act. Oh, that's just the wine talking, we say. And yet, in that word picture, Paul is saying, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be influenced by, become under the influence of the Spirit so it controls the way you talk, controls the way you act. It controls the way that you respond when you become angry. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is what? Or at least part of the fruit is meekness, gentleness.
If we want to be consistently meek, it, won't, it simply won't work to white-knuckle it and try harder to be meek. We must call out to God and pray, please help me be meek. Please help me because I can't do this on my own. So by way of application, what should we do when we get our feathers ruffled? What should we do when we encounter injustice towards us? Our first response should be to fall on our knees and say, Lord, help me. Because our natural response, our American response, is going to be the opposite of what Jesus calls us to do. This is countercultural. We've got to take our anger to God and ask for his help in responding like who? Like our meek Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our meek Savior who selflessly lived for the good of others And when he was reviled, did not open his mouth, as Peter tells us, but instead entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So let's put our three snapshots together. Let's lay them out on the table. Let's remember our little tour. Would you say these out loud with me? Meekness calmly and joyfully trusts in the justice of God. Secondly, meekness humbly listens and selflessly lives for the good of others. Thirdly, meekness is displayed when the spirit is in control. So now that we have a fuller picture of what it means to be meek, let's hop back on the tour bus and go home. Back to Matthew chapter five, verse five to wrap up. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Why? Why? For they shall inherit the earth. The meek might get walked on in this life. They might get taken advantage of. They might get passed over for that promotion. They probably won't end up at the front of the line in our culture. But in the kingdom of heaven, what does Jesus say happens there? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the inheritance of the whole earth. As the worship team makes their way back to the stage, my friends, we've got to remember this. We've got to remember the promised part of this beatitude. The day is coming soon when our meek and mighty king will return and we who reflect his meekness through the power of the spirit in our hearts will receive our promised inheritance. That's our hope. Our hope is not in the promotion. Our hope is not in being right. Our hope is not in owning our opponents by having a better argument. Our hope is not defending our rights like a rattlesnake. Our hope, my friends, is in Jesus and in his return when his kingdom comes in its fullness will be established and there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more injustice, no more tears, no more evil. And we'll see our meek and mighty Lord come, not on a donkey that time, but on a war horse to put an end to all evil and destruction and to make all things new. And those of us who put our faith in him will be invited to share in his glory, in his kingdom. The meek shall inherit the earth. Amen? Amen. Father.
It is so easy to be discipled more by our culture than by your word. More by our social media than our Savior. Father, we need your help to reverse that. We invite you into our hearts this morning, asking that you would do the change and the work that only you can do in us. For in our natural selves, in our natural state, we go a different direction with our anger. Lord, help us. We need you. We need the power of the Spirit informing our responses day in and day out. We ask you help to humbly listen and selflessly live. We ask for your help to joyfully and calmly trust in your justice. We need you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.